We celebrate the life of those we loved and lost, and in doing so, we are acutely aware of their lack among us. We cannot celebrate resurrection without acknowledging the reality of death. It's worth asking on All Saints Day what we mean by saint. If we are only talking about the ancient saints of the early church, our celebrations become much more narrow, much less personal. But in our tradition, we believe that the saints are all believers in every time and place. We're also not only talking about the saints who have passed from this life, but living saints as well. We can be saints now, even in the midst of our imperfections. A saint is also someone blessed by God, someone who is the recipient of God's favor. In this morning's reading from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus lays out who is blessed. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep. And blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. This clear expression of who is blessed swiftly dismisses two traps that Christians can sometimes fall into when it comes to God's blessings. The first trap is that blessedness indicated by material wealth and abundance. And the second, that we will receive blessings later, after we pass from this life and go to heaven. This second trap feels especially relevant in the context of All Saints Day. However, Jesus is very clear in this passage that material wealth does not indicate God's favor, and that blessedness starts now, here on earth. Jesus presents this unique understanding of blessings and blessedness in contrast to popular thought. Blessedness is not no material wealth and abundance, but rather the opposite. The poor, hungry, grieving, and depressed are blessed. An account of this sermon also appears in Matthew's Gospel, in which the conditions Jesus describes and the blessings he declares seem much more spiritual than economic. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus declares in that account of this sermon. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In contrast, Luke does not elaborate on poor or hunger, so that it cannot mean anything other than being without adequate means, food, or shelter. Moreover, Jesus does not stop with blessings. He moves on to several woe-to-you statements, which mirror the blessings, with admonishments for the rich, Fool, laughing, and well-off. Therefore, being rich, fool, laughing, and well-off are decidedly not necessarily signs of blessedness. In this account, Jesus also uses direct speech to address the crowd. Blessed are you, he declares, rather than blessed are the poor, or those who, dot, dot, dot. This further grounds Jesus' words in the very real context in which he was preaching and ministering. The people gathered around Jesus as he, delivered this, as he delivered this sermon were first century Palestinian Jews who experienced poverty, hunger, violence, and oppression, living under the rule of the Roman Empire. Directly declaring that the people in front of you are blessed prevents the blessing from evaporating into an abstract meaning. It was very grounded in a current reality. Explicitly naming the reality of poverty in front of Jesus, leads us to the second question we face when considering these blessings. Are these blessings for now or later? The 
simple answer is both. Listen again. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. The present tense are in the blessing statement means that the blessed are blessed now. In both the blessings and woes, Jesus pronounces what is already the case. These statements are not guidance about how to feel happy or warnings about how to avoid being miserable. Moreover, our blessedness is not a reward for good behavior, for we do not earn God's grace. On the lips of Jesus, these words carry special meaning. They are true because God has declared it so. Jesus is not simply presenting a different understanding of blessedness. He is declaring it. This is an official proclamation of the way life is inside the reign of God. The second half of each blessing and woe statements also points to the now and later timing of these blessings. The first statement of blessing entirely points to the present. The poor are blessed now and the kingdom of God already belongs to them. In contrast, the second and third blessings for the, ministry, for the hungry and weeping use future tense. They point to a future fulfillment of the blessings. The joining of the present and future reminds us that the coming reign of God has already begun with the coming of Jesus. The blessing is for now, but the full realization of that reality is yet to come. Indeed, we can look outside right into Harvard Square and see that the promises Jesus proclaimed have not yet been fully realized. These blessings and woes depict a reality that was entirely different than the ones experienced by the crowd gathered around Jesus that day, and is entirely different from the reality that we see in front of us today. Jesus' sermon declares a vision of God's kingdom, and hearing these words, rich and poor alike, glimpse a realm at odds with the way things are now. There is an undercurrent in these verses that push us and urge us towards the future, towards the end of what is and the beginning of what is to come. While these blessings and woes are not contingent on our behavior, they do call us to live differently now. They call us to live now as if God's coming reality were already fully here. One of the saints we have lost in the last several years is the late John Lewis, who spent his youth fighting in the civil rights movement by participating in the 1960 National Sit-ins, the Freedom Rise. He was the chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and was instrumental in organizing the 1963 March on Washington. And later he went on to serve as a congressman for the state of Georgia. In an interview in 2013, he spoke of his faith and what called him to the civil rights movement and what continued to give him hope. He said, I wanted to believe and I did believe that things would get better, but later I discovered that you have to have the sense of faith that what you're moving toward is already done. It's already happened. And you live as if you're already there. Jesus assures us that the blessedness of the poor and the oppressed is already done and calls us to live as if we already inhabit that reality. To do so, Jesus moves into a series of instructions that all hinge on the general principle that followers of Jesus
Jesus does not reciprocate or retaliate, they, nor do they pattern their behavior after those who oppress or victimize them. These teachings obviously assume that the listeners are victims of oppression. Therefore, it is a foregone conclusion that followers of Jesus must not be oppressors themselves. And in reaction to oppression, Christians are called to counter oppression and violence, not with more violence, but rather to embody love, forgiveness, and generosity. To be clear, this is not a call for the oppressed to accept violent abuse, but rather the total rejection of violence and oppression, and a recognition that an oppressive reality cannot be dismantled through more violence. We are called to imagine and work towards a world of justice, hope, and love without violence, oppression, without poverty or hunger. This is not easy work, but we are blessed by the saints that have gone before us and modeled this work for us throughout their lives. We continue to encourage us now. Most of us have been blessed by the saints in our lives who show us how to live faithfully encouraged us in the living of these days. Saints do not need to be perfect, and surely the ones we have loved and lost were not perfect. Nor do all saints accomplish incredible high-profile things. Indeed, most work for the kingdom of God frequently goes unnoticed. Perhaps the saints in your life fought boldly for a different world. Perhaps they modeled faith and resilience in the face of trials. Perhaps they were always ready to feed the hungry, and they always prayed for everyone, even those that hated them or made their lives difficult. When I think of the saints of my life, I remember my father, who passed in 2018 after decades of significant health problems due to a brain injury. And yet even still, he used his gifts as a minister in that time and volunteered as a hospital chaplain at the rehabilitation hospital he was often in, even as he himself was and I think of my grandmother, who was a leader in her local circle of United Methodist Women and all the women who have led their circles of the United Methodist Women, and my grandmother, who fought to help several refugee families settle in her community in the 1970s. And yet, the clear expression of God's favor in these verses calls us to celebrate the lives and grieve the passing of the poor, hungry, and depressed all over the world, not only the saints we have personally known and loved. May we remember the lives of refugees and migrants fleeing their homes in search of a safer reality. May we remember the lives of those who may have been lost due to their battle with addiction, or the lives lost due to lack of access to health care, especially in the midst of a continued global pandemic. Loss seems to be especially profound and close to us days, and naming that reality inherently calls us to imagine and work towards a different reality. Indeed, remembering the lives of the saints we have lost and imagining the future requires us to use the same muscle. While it may feel like one task asks us to look back and the other asks us to look forward, both call us to imagine a reality that is different than the one we see in front of us. We use our imagination both to remember the saints in every time and place and to learn and to lean now into God's future together. The novel Housekeeping by Marilyn Robinson captures this holy 
we dance of looking backwards and forwards at the same time. Robinson tells the story of two sisters, Ruthie and Lucille, whose lives have been marked by loss and abandonment. They lost their mother early on and have been raised by their grandmother first, then their great aunts, and finally their eccentric and transient aunt. Towards the end of the novel, Ruthie, the elder sister, reflects on her experience of loss and continues to reimagine all of salvation history and the Bible and her family history through the lens of memory and mourning. In doing so, she observes that the force behind the movement of time is a mourning that will not be comforted. That is why the first event is known to have been an expulsion and the last is hoped to be reconciliation and return. So memory pulls us forward. So prophecy is only brilliant memory. So memory pulls us forward. So prophecy is only brilliant memory. As we celebrate All Saints Day, the act of remembering the saints pulls us forward into a different, better reality. And the lives and the deaths of the saints can inspire us to imagine and create something different, a more just and equitable world, free of violence. And in envisioning that reality and working towards it, we participate in the sacred work of prophecy, of proclaiming the kingdom of God that is to come. As we sing our next hymn, I invite you to come forward and light a candle here for the saints you are remembering today whether you know them personally or not. May the lives of the saints continue to inspire us and encourage us in the work God calls us. 